holy, holy, holy are you, our God, our triune God. And what a privilege is ours to join our voices with the angels and the heavenly host in heaven who right now and throughout eternity will be singing that song of your blessed holiness. What a privilege is ours is to gather as the church, the colony of heaven on earth, and to join the chorus of your holiness and your praise. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are holy, and we are not. But God, I thank you that because of your great grace and mercy that is clearly seen through the face of your Son and experienced through the power of the Holy Spirit, that through one sacrifice, the sacrifice of the sinless Lamb of God, Jesus, through one sacrifice, your Word tells us that you have forever made holy those that you are making holy. What a paradox. In Christ Jesus, today, your church, your people, your family, in Christ, in Christ alone, through His blood and righteousness, we have been perfected. And yet, here we sit, being made holy. Father, we thank You for that paradox that You give us in Christ Jesus that teaches us that we have rights as Your children to come into a holy God's presence, not in fear and trembling, but boldly that we could come only robed in Christ. And the way You see us now as Your beloved, beautiful children. And yet, we're still a mess. We're still undone. We're still broken. We still wrestle with that flesh. Would you do that which only you can do? You who have begun the good work in us, would you make us holy today? Through the preaching and the hearing of your word. Father, may we leave here empowered by your Holy Spirit to walk in newness of life, to walk in holiness. Because you are holy. Because your Son has made us holy. And your Holy Spirit is making us holy. And holy as your children is how we will be when we see you face to face throughout eternity. God, may we practice what we preach. May we practice for that day where we see you face to face. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. How many of y'all remember your dreams of last night? How many of y'all remember anybody? Remember dreams? Some, some of you guys remember dreams. Some people always remember dreams. Some rarely remember dreams. Uh, occasionally, I remember dreams. Seems like lately I'm remembering more of them. Uh, but I've learned one thing. Of those of you who have had dreams, the five of you who raised your hand that remember your dreams last night, let me ask you a question. How many of you try to tell someone you're about your dream? I mean, what's up with that? It seems like once we have dreams, uh, we wake up and we want to explain our dreams to others. Uh, Katie has told me, uh, Katie, my wife of 23 years today, happy anniversary. So, Yahoo. 
Wow. The greatest thing apart from Christ has happened to me. But Katie has told me, rightfully so, that Jeff, uh, telling your dreams to others is really not interesting to others. <laughs> She's right. You've heard him. I don't know why. Uh, not only that, I have, the, but there's this collision here because there's some truth that telling others your dreams is not interesting. But I love telling my dreams. And I also have bad timing. I want to tell them when I remember, first thing in the morning. Usually I'm the first one up. So, you know, to wake someone up to say, I want to tell you about my dream is not a great thing. I started to, to wrestle with the fact, why? why? Why is there this urge in us to tell our dreams? And I really thought about this this week and thought, because some of the dreams I had this week were just downright bizarre. And trying to think, what does this have to do with real life? Because there's bits and pieces of real life. And there's people who show up in some strange situations and say, what does this have to do with life? And maybe try to wrestle with that. I never really come to a good conclusion. But for the past, uh, last week and for the next two weeks, we're looking at the American dream. And what we're doing here as a church, we're going to be looking at this American dream and ask a similar question and say this, what does this dream have to do with real life? Or more importantly, to the church of Jesus Christ, as we are examining this American dream, we want to ask the question, wrestle with the question, how does this affect gospel living? How does the American dream, the way we are told to live and pursue in a a great country like this, how does it affect the kingdom of God? How does it affect what the Bible tells us about gospel kingdom living? This week I uh, had the privilege of going back to our founding fathers and doing some more research into the American dream, into the foundation that the church or that this country was built on. I'm telling you there. There's an amazing amount of thinkers that God raised up to give us this American experiment. And the more I wrestle with those who started this dream, I want to say, who stole our dream? Who stole the American dream? Because it's become a little bit of a nightmare. This morning we're going to look at what I call the drop-dead lie to the American dream. Because in the American dream, we are told these three things. One is this, that we can find life in the stuff we pursue. In the American dream, we're told that we can find life in the stuff that we pursue. But God in His Word says that we can only find life in the God who pursues us. And what, a, what an amazing contrast that we're told uh, oftentimes in our materialistic consumer society that life is found in that pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. But according to God's Word, life begins with a God who pursues and seeks and saves sinners like us. What an amazing juxtaposition. We are told in the American dream that not only can we find life in the stuff we pursue, we're also told that we can find security in the stuff we keep. We can find security in in our 401ks or security in our bank accounts or security in the things that we have. And according to God's Word, that we should find our security in the God who keeps us and the God who rescues us and the God who will never let us go and a God who's our good shepherd who says, none of my sheep will be lost. You want security? 
I've loved my children with an everlasting love. I love them so much I've sent my son Jesus to come and to rescue them. And all of my sheep, all of my children, the entire church, I know each one by name. And here's security. I'm not going to lose any. Nothing can snatch them out of, our, uh, out of the Father's hands. So the drop dead lie of the American dream says that we can find our identity by doing things our own way. Kind of even have songs that say, I've done it my way. But according to God's Word, clearly according to Jesus' teaching, clearly according to the Holy Spirit inside of us, God is not calling us to live a life according to our own understanding. Scripture tells us in Proverbs 3, 5-7 through that we are not to lean on upon our own understanding. But in all of our ways, we acknowledge that there is a God who lives and a God who loves and a God who has put out a path for us. That we're to acknowledge Him in all of our ways and be obedient to Him. And there we find life. There we find purpose and meaning. So the American dream says, listen, pursue your stuff, you find life. It's a lie. It'll say this, Keep your stuff. You'll find security. It's a lie. The American dream will say, do it your way. And you'll find the real way. And it's a lie too. God's word says, no, no, no. Do it my way. Last week we looked at how the American dream uh, collided with the Tower of Babel. And we were reminded last week that it's not ultimately about country. Yes, we have an amazing country. Thank God. And we often say, God bless America. But as we looked at the Tower of Babel, we realized that it's not about America. God has a plan for the entire world. It's not about our name. Remember back, if you were here in Genesis 11, what they did is they wanted to build for their own name. The American dream often tells us it's about you. It's about your name. It's about your reputation. Also there, they saw that they were building a city for themselves. So God, listen, church... God's got a whole bigger plan for us this, just to build a little city for ourselves. He wants us to build a city for Him, for His glory, to tell about His fame and His name. Even in the American dream, there's something about settling down. There's something about not being on mission. There's something about self that we're reminded last week that, no, 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 it's all about go. That each one of us is called to fill this earth with His glory. I love the fact that this morning, there are Orangewood members in Honduras filling the earth with his glory. I love this morning that there's Orangewood members in the Dominican Republic, and many of you are going to go. But not just there. Each neighborhood that we go back to, we're to fill it for his glory. Well, this week, we're going to look at how the American dream can pilfer, and that's the right word, pilfer the purity of the church. Or maybe more apropos, how the American dream is pilfering the purity of the American church. So let's turn on our Bibles. We're going to look to the early church. We're going to look to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. We're going to read an interesting story, to say the least. We're going to look at Acts 4, 32 through chapter 5, 11. Let's be mindful. This is God's holy and errant word. It's a strange word today. It's not the easiest of words. But this is God's word and he has it for us. Acts 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. 
So let me tell you a little bit what's happening here. This is describing the early church. Jesus Christ has ascended. He's given us the Holy Spirit. Uh, The church is being built um, of God's people. And God is doing amazing things. And here you have the amazing purity of the church. That they had all things in common. They had one heart. They had one mind. They, They shared things. It wasn't like, this is mine and that is yours. And with great power, verse 33, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. Listen to this. There was not a needy person among them. Wow. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them, and really from time to time they did, and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And they laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Isn't that a great name? Don't you want a friend named Barnabas? Don't you want Barnabas as in your life? A son of encouragement. A Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, that's all the backdrop to the story I really want to tell you here in Acts chapter 5. What's going on? Well, God is building his church and there's amazing unity, there's amazing purity, there's amazing focus. I mean, miracles are happening. People are selling stuff to make sure that no one's left behind. I mean, these folks are on mission. These folks are completely together. We say we are family, they're living family. We say we're all about Christ and His kingdom. They're living Christ and His kingdom. Uh, they're giving their life to this. But in any place, it's not perfect. Reading a ch- book right now called Pagan Christianity, really challenging some of the uh, concepts of the church. And the call is to go back to the early church. Let's go back. They got issues too. Let's see the issues. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But, but, but. A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself. Really, you could say he embezzled, he pilfered, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? To lie to the Holy Spirit and to pilfer or to keep back for yourself parts of the proceed of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have continued, contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down. And breathed his last. And a great fear came on all who heard it. I bet so. Then young man rose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and they buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, giving her a little bit of opportunity here, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes. For so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, 
and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down. Where? At his feet. Interesting. Where do they bring the offering? At his feet. A little irony there. And breathed her last. When the young man came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And, by the way, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. We're going to ask the ushers to come forward. We're going to pray for the offering. (laughs) How many of y'all have heard a sermon preached on Ananias and Sapphira? A couple of y'all. Why don't you hear more sermons on Ananias and Sapphira? I mean, this is not an easy one. I mean, this is boldly going where few preachers are crazy enough to go and to say, okay, Lord, we believe that you are amazingly grace-filled. We believe that you are long-suffering. What in the world is this all about? I mean, they seemed to give money. They sold property. How in the world did you take them out? Wow. Well, there's a reason, I think, that uh, not too many sermons are heard on Ananias and Sapphira. And so, let me just say, God, please help. But I do know He's got a word for us. Let's ask this question. First thing, what's the deal with this story? I mean, why in the world, you know... The Bible's got to be inspired by the Holy Spirit because no man who wants to build the church puts this story in there, all right? Maybe unless he's in charge of just the funds. That's the only way that this story gets in there. But we believe that this is here by God's design for His glory and for us today. But what in the world is the deal with this story? Here it is, to sum it up. Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira had a divided heart. They had a divided heart. They really wanted this. They wanted the best of both worlds. They wanted the best of both worlds. They wanted to to have the perception that they are filled with the Holy Spirit and did good deeds. Remember what we said back in Acts 4. I read you that story because those who were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were doing extraordinary things. They were selling their land, their fields, their property, and they were bringing it and they were laying at the apostles' feet and they were distributing to all who had need so there were none who had need. That's amazing. And so Ananias and Sapphira saw all the acclaim that these Christians were getting. They got drawn into it. There was something appealing. And they, they, they contrived with themselves. They talked to each other. says, hey, I got a plan. Why don't we sell something? We don't really like that land anyway. Why don't we get rid of that? I think your mother-in-law gave that to us. We don't want it. Let's sell it. But let's sell it. But let's, let's do this. Let's keep it. Some of the money. And let's bring it to the apostles' feet, kind of as an act of worship, so everybody can see us. And man, they'll all say, wow, Ananias and Sapphira, those people are spirit-filled. Those people are obedient. They wanted the perception of godliness. They wanted the reputation of generosity. They, they wanted to be known uh, in, in a way of associating with those who were radically on fire for Jesus. So they had one foot in that camp, but they had another foot in another camp. And that's where their security was. Their security was in their stuff, keeping their treasures on earth their own. 
That's really where their security was. That's the whole deal of this story. I mean, Jesus is showing us through the Holy Spirit hypocrites. And I believe He has for us today Orangewood. He's showing us the propensity that maybe the American dream leads us to a similar conclusion. Maybe the American dream tells us that we could have the best of both worlds. All the security that a great country and all the wealth we can amass for ourselves. Put your foot there. But also put your foot in the kingdom. Put your foot in the perception that you're in. And it's amazing. He says, no, that's not at all what I had in mind. So that's the what. Let's talk about the so what. I mean, so what? I mean, what's, what's the big deal? I mean, again, as a church pastor, I'd be pretty ridiculously excited if some of you decided, you know what? I got some real estate I want to sell and bring it to the general fund. I don't think I'm going to ask you, how much you bring it in here? Is this all of it? Is there anything you're holding back for yourself? Are you all in? I mean, I'm telling you, I, I think I'd just be ridiculously excited if the Spirit was moving us a little bit in this direction. So what's the big deal? I mean, Ananias and Sapphira, they were seemingly a part of this group. Seemingly doing good works. Why in the world did God just take them? There is a big deal behind this. Why is a big deal? It says this. The drop-dead lie of the American dream pilfers our walk with God. That's the first point. Did you hear it? The drop-dead lie of the American dream pilfers, embezzles, robs our walk with God. First of all, we got to see that what God reveals about himself in this story, it's a bit difficult. He is that holy, holy, holy God. And we see that this lie of having one foot in one kingdom and one foot in another is repugnant to God. Scripture says this, that we cannot serve both God and money. Let's look to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, Luke 16, verse 13, says this. I mean, this, I, I, what I loved about studying about this is all the teachings of Jesus, and many of them that are difficult, start to emerge in this story. Not all of them, but so many of them. So many of the principles that he taught that we say, hmm, that's easy, we see emerging right here, being lived out. Look at what the Gospel of Luke tells us in 16.13. It says this, No servant can serve two masters. Basically saying you can't have a foot in each kingdom. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. God's Word says very clearly that you cannot serve God and money. God and money divide our hearts over and over and over and over again. The, the repugnant nature of the American dream that will embezzle our walk with Christ, it says that you can have your feet in both camps. It's okay to pursue after hard the security of wealth and fame and name and also to have a little piece of the kingdom. God says to us very clearly, and it's hard, I know it's hard, he says, listen, a divided heart is not good. We can't serve both. So the drop-dead lie of the American dream, it pilfers our walk with God because it's repugnant to God. You can't serve both. Not only that, it's dangerous to our lives. 
It's dangerous certainly to our spiritual lives. But we can't try to save our lives if we're called to give our lives away. Look at, look at the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 16. This story is in each one of the Gospels, this teaching. We're going to look at Matthew 16, 24. A few weeks ago when we were talking about Peter, we talked about this passage as well. Matthew 16, 24 Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, and let's get the context right here. I mean, this is Jesus. He's talking to his disciples. Uh, He has just heard the confession of Peter that he is the Christ. He's just telling them that he must go to Jerusalem to lay his life down for their sins. I mean, this is primary stuff. He's gathered the twelve that are going to change the world. And here's the message he has for them. He tells his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? You see, it's dangerous to our lives to try to hold on. What was Ananias and Sapphira doing? They were trying to save their life. I mean, they were trying to save their identity. They were trying to save their worth. They weren't ready to cash it all in and give it to God. There wasn't enough security in that. They just believed the lie that it's good to have one foot in and one foot out. I mean, it's, it's, it's Jesus' teaching coming true. Those who are trying to save their lives will lose it. And those who are willing to say, I'm all in. I'll deny myself. I'll pick up my cross. I'll do it. Those are the ones who find it. I got asked a question in my mind, I bet you are too, is what drove them to this? I I do believe that there was hypocrisy, that they wanted the applause of men. They wanted to be seen as holy when their hearts were tainted. But what drove them to this? I think I have two things for that. One is this. I think it's what drives us too. I think it really is what drives us. One is this. It's fear. They didn't really believe that they were to gamble it all, put it all in. They didn't really believe that God was sufficient and provide for them if they entrusted Him with everything. I mean, seriously, isn't that the truth with Ananias and Sapphira? I mean, they didn't love God enough. They didn't respond to this good news of the gospel enough to say, I'm all in. What they said is this, I'm partially in. But God, I really don't trust you. I really don't trust you that if I give you my whole life, if I give you my life savings, that you're not going to mess it up. I mean, what we're doing here, I see what the early church is doing. They're selling their stuff and they're giving to those in need. And some of those people in need, they probably deserve to be in need. They didn't manage their household as well as I did. They haven't done as well as I did. They didn't work as hard as I did. They didn't build their fortune. Away. Why in the world should I share it with them? So there was really a lack of love for their community and there was a lack of trust for God. They thought it was their own stuff. So that was fear. There was a fear in God. That was ruling their lives. And 
I want to ask this too. What, what life choices had they made that helped them make this decision? And again, I'm reading between the lines. I don't know. But I'm imagining that there were some life choices they, they made where they were unwilling, unable to risk it all for Jesus. They were too divested in other things. I don't know. I mean, I don't know in, in God if this isn't right, may it fall away. But it just, maybe they just had amassed debt or identity in areas that they couldn't let go. I think what drove them to this was fear. I think it was life choices that kept them from jumping in. So, so what? Well, the first big so what, the drop-dead lie of the American dream that tells us we can have a divided heart and a foot in the kingdom and a foot in the American dream, well, what it does, it pilfers our walk with God. What else does it do? The drop-dead lie of the American dream pilfers the health of the church. It really does. It hurts us. I mean, every preacher who ever reads the book of Acts and gets to the second through fourth chapter of the early church, we're all like, oh man, man, give me, give me two Sundays there. Just give me a little bit of time with that, where they had, listen, give me, give me two weeks when, when together we're just of one mind. Give me, give, me, give me 24 hours where we're together of one heart. I mean, what would the church be like if we were really in one purpose? One identity. I mean, what would we be like if, if, if there were no needs here that we weren't going to be committed to meet through one another? What would it be like if, if we really were convinced, like the early church was convinced, that God wanted to change the world through us? What would it be like? Man, that would be unbelievable. Well, the drop-dead lie of the American dream pilfered the health of the church. Because what it did, it allows hypocrites to come in with divided hearts. And divided hearts always will kill the church. It kills our unity. It blurs our kingdom focus. It stymies our effectiveness. Especially to those in need. And you know, i got to tell you the truth. Uh, I think we're better at it than most churches. I think we're closer. I think you're amazingly generous. I mean, what we're able to do through our deacons fund alone is awesome. I mean, this church time and time and time and time again has responded to the call of God, whether it's Haiti or it's Eatonville and the, and the hurricanes. I mean, I'm proud of you. I really am. And I think that together there's a spirit here stirring our hearts that we want to lean forward to this. We want to become more like this. But we got we to gotta take this stuff seriously and say, do we still have a divided heart? Your pastor does. I don't like it. I mean, it's so funny. I, uh, something happened to like uh, four pairs of my suit pants. Uh, some bug got in there. They ate them or something. They somehow shrunk, all right? So I, I don't know what happened. But I had, a, I, I had to uh, go to a tailor and have my pants altered and uh, made me go back and hang things back up and I just decided, you know, you know what, I, I want my shirts over here and I'd really, I'd really have my suits hang here and I'd really have my short sleeve shirts over here. And, I really, and so I started to rearrange in the closet. I got into Katie's stuff too. <laughs> She's got way too much stuff, I'm telling you. Because I need more room for my stuff, that's why I'm telling you that. So 
I start taking her stuff off hangers and putting it on the bed, and I rearrange my closet. I'm thinking, man, that's it right there. And I think this is awesome. I go back and I look at the bed, and there's a bunch of her clothes thinking, oh, man, where am I putting that stuff? <laughs> Katie, it's time you go to the Goodwill. <laughs> you know, I, I folded T-shirts, and I can't stuff another one into my drawers. My drawers are breaking because I got too much clothes in my closet. I mean, what's up with that? Um, so I, I love what God is doing here, and I think there's something that he really is moving. And I think he's calling each one of us to examine this because this American dream with one foot in and one foot out, um, wanting to hold on to what we think is ours, uh, it does hurt the purity of the church. It really does blur our unity. Uh, it really does blur our focus. Um, and it really hurts. Hypocrites will do that. But I also think it tells us something about the way God sees the church that's kind of exciting and kind of scary. Remember last week we talked about that God's passion for his own plan to fill the earth with his glory is so passionate that God would be holy or crazy enough to confuse the language of people to accomplish his plan? Do you know that God is a God who is so passionate about His glory and filling the earth with His glory that He will change the languages to make sure we're on task, that He'll stop building plans to make sure that we're going to build His church? Do you know that God is so crazy and passionate and, and not crazy in like a lunatic way, but just focused way, and like I'm all about this, the purity of His church because Jesus Christ, His Son, is the head of the church and He is holy and He is pure and He's called us to be holy. Do you know that God is so passionate about the holiness of his church that he would take out Ananias and Sapphira when the church was unified, when the church was connected, when the church had everything in common, when the church was really really functioning the way God wanted it to do to and all of a sudden you have some hypocrites with a divided heart show up and what does he do? He says, I am so passionate about my church's purity, I'm taking them out. <laughs> it scares me a little bit. But he did it all throughout Scripture. I mean, when, when, when God's people entered into the, to the promised land, when they, after 40 years of wandering and after a Red Sea being divided and being set free from captivity and slavery, after having to learn how to suffer, they're finally going to go in the promised land. The walls of Jericho have crumbled. They have this amazing thing. There's a guy named Achan who takes some of the booty, some of the spoils that God says, don't touch it. Don't touch it. It's not yours. And he said, no, I'm going to have a divided heart. I'm going to be a little bit about God. I'm going to be a little bit about myself. I'm going to take some of the spoils of God's victory, and I'm going to hide them under my tent. And guess what? He dies. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's a holiness of God that in our culture, in our society, we're afraid to talk about. And it's not necessarily your best uh, marketing tool. But the reality is, is God is passionate about the purity of his church. He's passionate about it. So much so that we're going to see that, man, Ananias and Sapphira, they missed God's agenda, but his agenda wouldn't be thwarted. So now what? We got the what? We've had the so what? There's more so what there than we probably realized. Now what? Well, 
I think that we got to examine our lives and see where in our lives do we live by the motto, where in our lives are we singing, I did it my way. Did it my way. Because that's what the American dream is really going to instill in us, that it's this rugged individualism that it is to do it our way. Where are we singing that theme song? And what we got to do is we got to repent. I mean, the call of God is turn from it. Ask Him, God, where, where are areas in my life that it's my way? There's a lot of easy ones for that. How do you handle your money? How do you view church? I guess the question comes down to this. What areas in your life and what areas in my life are we pilfering the church? What areas are we pilfering the church because of the American dream? By holding back the resources that God's given to us. One of them is time. The resource of time. We all have the same amount of it as long as we breathe. Are we pilfering our time? Is it really about giving our lives first and foremost to the Lord? I mean, do you know how hard it is to try to program things for the church um, time-wise? Listen, let me, let me make the point first. One is this. We'll, be never, we'll never be unified. We will never be a church, a family that's focused and unified until we're all in and no longer pilfering God with our time. Until we say, hey, you know what? I got I gotta, this is God's. He's given this to me. He's entrusted it to me. Church is gonna be a priority and important. Um, you know, in Orangewood, we're pretty passionate about the fact we think that okay, we exist, we exist to because of, for the transformation of Central Florida in the world and the kingdom of God. Uh, through the power of the gospel, we're here to be a city on the hill. We're kind of offensively minded, I hope. And so we exist for, for radical transformation. That's why we're here. We're not just a holy huddle. It's not just about us coming here and feeling good. It's not us about us putting up walls so that yicky world out there can stay out. We are passionate. We want to be passionate. The leadership's passionate. God has this burden in me. I can't get rid of it that we exist to bring the kingdom of God to the earth because he says that we're to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we're passionate about it being a family that's a city on a hill. That's our passion. I mean, I, I can't get over it. And I don't want to. But if our passion is that the kingdom would come, that more people would know and love Jesus and more resources would be turned to him, our mission here at the church is to equip you, the family of God, to be kingdom ambassadors. That's why I believe I've been called here. That's why the leadership is here. It's Ephesians 4. It's equip the family of God to be able to take a stand out into that world and make every thought captive to the obedience of Christ for you to be kingdom ambassadors. That is why we do all the things we do. That's why we have Equipping Center. That's why we are teaching heavy because we are here to try to do things. Equip you, equip you, equip you. It's hard because we know that in a society like this, to get time, it's so hard. We're, we're at this point now, we're wrestling, thinking, golly, we, we have some pretty good equipping centers. I mean, some nice teaching. We really think we're focused. 75% of you don't come. I think that we let the American dream and the busyness of our schedules and the busyness of our children's schedules, and listen, I, I'm guilty as charged. I mean, but I think it lets it pilfer our time. I think it lets us pilfer our, tra- our talent, too. 
man, is this church a talented church? Are we using the first fruits of the abilities that God has given us to be on mission? We're the body of Christ. Each one of you has gifts to serve. Each one of you. We, we, only, we only can make that impact if we do it together. And talents, serving the church and our treasures, will never be a missional church until we bring our treasures to the Lord. You know, one thing I think we completely lost in our society is this. What they do with their treasures that they sold. What they do. They brought it where? They brought it in. They carried it in. The Holy Spirit moved in their heart in a miraculous ways. It's time to time this happens. They decided that just investing in the world wasn't what they wanted to do. They wanted to invest in the kingdom. They brought it in. What did they do with it? They brought it in and they laid it at the apostles' feet. You may say, well, what does that have to do with anything? It has to do with everything. Because we live in a time and a society where the American dream tells us that you and I are sufficient in and of ourselves to know where our offerings and tithes should go. That really it's about me deciding, well, I want to give a little bit to this guy. He really makes me excited about what he's doing over here. I'm going to give a little bit over here to this person over here because that's really good. I'm going to, I feel comfortable with about maybe a 3%. I'm going to hold on to the rest. I'm going to make sure savings goes over here. I'm going to make sure this goes over here. I mean, it's just all about me. I mean, God's word says, no, 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 no. Listen, you surrender everything you have, anything you own. It's all his anyway. It's not like we give 10% and we keep 90%. It's that he owns all of it. And now we bring it to the apostles' feet. We show obedience to God. What we are saying is this, is that God, we obey you, we believe you, and we believe you want us under submission. We are going to bring them to the authority of the church for them to make the decision who should get what. And I know this is difficult, and I know, but this is where we live. I mean, who wants to give to the light bill? And who wants to give? Because we have this arrogance. We're pilfering the church by saying that I'm not bringing it to the apostles' feet. I'm making the decision myself. And that's where we get divided. And there's where we lose unity. And there's where we lose impact. I think the message that God is saying is this, and it's a tough one. He doesn't want us to have a divided heart. I mean, throughout Scripture, he makes it pretty darn clear. Are you in? Is it about Christ alone? Is it really about Christ alone? Or is it Christ and? Can we get closer to, for Christ and his kingdom, it's not about us? Or are we just going to put our toes in and say, yeah, we're, we're in over here. But we're going to stay over here. I love you. Remember what I said to you earlier. You can't leave here without hearing me say, I think we're doing better than most. But nowhere near. So how do we feel? It's God's word. Join me in asking God to say, come. We want to believe it. We want to live it. We've got one life to live. I was with a high school um, 
official at our school and, and just talking about what would it look like, what would it look like to have a kingdom-minded, we do, but a really set-on-fire kingdom-minded school. What would it look like? We both kind of said, I don't want to live for anything else. I don't just want to prep school. I, I, don't, I don't want just good SAT scores. I want, I want MCP, Maitland Community Preschool, to be all about the kingdom. I want OCS, Orange Christian School, all about the kingdom. I want our student ministry, our children's ministry, our equipping centers. I mean, I want everything that God's given to us because according to God's word, they're given to us for a reason to bring him glory. I want everything to have the aroma of Christ and for Christ and Christ alone to advance his kingdom for his glory. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you who began the good work in me would continue to show me the completeness of my salvation and our salvation in Christ, that you have made us holy through that one sacrifice of your Son, that you are making us holy. Father, I read the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and you have been so much more patient with me. I'm, I'm a lot like Jonah. I run. I'm a lot like Peter. I just say stupid things. I'm a lot like Paul. I'm a chief of sinners. And God, I, I want to celebrate what you're doing here at Orangewood. You're doing a lot of great stuff. But you're calling us to more. Where the American dream is pilfering this church, would your Holy Spirit come with power and cause us to not have a foot in each kingdom, but to say it's about Christ alone. It's in his name we pray. Amen.